Welcome to Prompt. I'm Arielle Beth-Klein and I've put together a series of interviews with people from different walks of life, all beginning with the same three prompts. Your first love, your best friend, and your untold story. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Lenore. We recorded in her midtown apartment, so please forgive the sirens. We touched on friendships, directing, and love. Meet Lenore. Which one do you want to start with? I've been uh, starting with my first love. All right. Whatever let's that think means. About that. Well, love is a subjective word. If you're talking about love in terms of mate, you know, um, I think my my first love probably my mother and father. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean by love is subjective. If you think of first love, first boy I ever had a crush on kind of thing, you know, that goes way, way back. Yeah. You know I'm 91. I don't know if you knew that. I think you told me on the phone. <laughs> um, so it goes very far back. But first love I guess with the man I wound up marrying in, in terms of conventional first love yeah it can anything that thing. yeah yeah and um, I did everything very young I went to um, high school at the age of 11 whoa and I went to college at the age of 15. Wow. And, uh, you know, so... Where did you grow up? I went to Cornell. Wow. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. And I don't know whether the, the kinds of relationships you form in, in your early life whether you can really call that love because as I said love is such a subjective word mm -hmm. it can mean uh, all sorts of different things to different people you know but the kind of, of love that people usually think about in romantic terms as opposed to this is my main guy, or this is, you know, mm -hmm. um, somebody I, I would love to see, or love to sleep with, or love to be with, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, when you want to commit to a, a never-ending relationship, and, and you feel that that person is more important than anything else in the world. That's, that is what I think of when you say love. And that was probably the my first husband, who, the guy who turned out to be my first husband. Where did you two meet? Um, we were both young actors and we met you know, in the course of 
like acting class and stuff like that. And um, he was the father of both my children. When you talk, there's another kind of love, which happens when you give birth to a child. And that's the kind of love where you say, I will give up my life for this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a different love. And I feel that way about it. I have the most wonderful children. And I thank God for them every day because when you're 91 and they're both around and they're both terrific and caring and all of that. It is so important to your life. It is such a gift. So, you know, it's a difficult, what is your, what was your first love kind of thing. It's not a simple It's pretty thing. broad, I guess, yeah. A, yeah, it's not a, not a really simple um, response. Yeah. Do your, um, you have two children, you said. Do they um, live here? Do they grow up in New York? I am the luckiest person in the world because here I am on the 43rd floor yeah. of this terrific complex. I know you're familiar with this complex. Um, and my, one of my sons, my daughter-in-law, and two grandchildren live three floors away. That's amazing. <laughs> They're on the 40th floor, right around the corner. Oh, wow. So it's fantastic. My other son lives in a straight line <laughs> right up to 70th Street. <laughs> That's amazing. On the west side. So, and you know, it's, it's really wonderful because they're so close. I, I feel, um, for a long time, I lived on the Upper East Side, 37 years. And when this became possible, Jason was the one, my son Jason, um, was the one who kept urging me to try to get into Manhattan Plaza. And I said, this is almost, impossible because I have 37 years worth of living in this place but they are, we, we managed it and I said okay this is my form of assisted living <laughs> all, my, all my peers you know my colleagues have gone to places that are called assisted living and they're pretty grim <laughs> so I feel very lucky that I'm here that's amazing. And yeah. um, so one of my first loves lives a couple of floors away. <laughs> That's, Getting yeah. back to your question. That's great. Yeah, when my grandma, we moved her, um, she was living in Florida for a while. And then we um, wanted to move her closer to where we all were, were here. And she wanted to move up. Um, and she was in an assisted living place. But she really, you know, she was the happiest when we were all there, you know. She made, um, she made some friends, but, you know, I think she was the, this, her face would just change, you know, when we would 
uh, get to spend that time together. So it was nice to have her so close versus in well, let Florida. Let me tell you a story about that. The, the other, one of the other questions was best friend. Yeah. My best friend was living on the 36th floor of this building. Somebody I've known since before our children were born. Oh, wow. You know, going way, way back. She actually is the widow of a very well-known actor named Frank Sutton. Okay. Who was in Gomer Pyle for years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, not long after I got here, and we were celebrating because we said, oh, we can get together, we can do stuff together, we can go to the theater together, we can play Scrabble, we can play poker. <laughs> she had a fall in her apartment, scared herself to death, and the next scene, her kids came, scooped her up, and put her in assisted living wow. in New Jersey. Which, you know, which I couldn't get to. Yeah. And I was devastated. I was in mourning because so not long ago we went, a friend of mine drove me out to see her. It's a combination, kind of, of a hotel and a hospital. Yeah. Assisted living. And she feels terrific because she's very secure and comfortable and loves it. Oh, good. She's very, she seems very content. I, on the other hand, <laughs> would lose my mind. Yeah. So I kind of just recently lost the proximity of my best friend, which was difficult. Yeah. The other part of that story is right down the hall from me was her best, one of her best friends and somebody I've known for many, many years. She also got scooped up by her daughter and brought out to LA. And this all happened kind of within a month and not long after I got here. I, I said at that point, is it anything I said? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I showered today. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what's going on? But, wow. So I feel, you know, really um, blessed that this all worked out. I'm wondering, so you, you've known the, the one woman who lived here, the first woman that you were talking about. How, did your... Um, I know it's hard for me to, to relate to people that I knew 10 years ago, so I'm wondering how your relationship changed um, or how you stay so close with someone as you guys are both changing as people throughout your lives. Well, a lot happened to us because when we first met, you know, Frank and I were doing scenes together in, in a class run by my first husband, oh. who was a director and taught acting, you know, and directing. And um, we somehow managed, we grew up together in a way, 
shared all all the stuff that you that that transpires when you have kids, and then they moved out to the West Coast, and we somehow managed to keep in touch with each other, and then we went to the West Coast, <laughs> you know, and um, lived not far from one another. We were both in Beverly Hills, <laughs> and it you know a lot a lot of things happened. Frank became successful. My husband became successful as a director in television. Um, you know, a lot happened, but we stayed close. And so we know so much about each other, you know, at this point. Yeah. It's like family. A best friend is kind of like family, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And it's, it's a treasure. I had another best friend who I went to high school with. High School of Music and Art. Are you familiar with that yeah. school? That's another privilege <laughs> yeah. know, that I was happy to be a part of. And she lived in um, Queens in another borough. <laughs> but we kept in touch through the years. And that was, it was hard because she succumbed to cancer. Um, I have no sense of time anymore, but I miss her terribly. And, you know, she died a couple of years ago. And I'm sorry. It was hard. It was very hard. Again, like a member of the family, because we just, you, with, with a friend like that, you just keep in touch. You just don't let go. Yeah, I find that uh, friends or people that I choose to have in my life, it's almost, yeah, like like they become like you, you they're your chosen family. Yes. That's kind of how I think about yeah. it. That's a good way of putting it. And at your age, you're just beginning to meet people that would qualify, Yeah. <laughs> you know? When you say, yeah, that, that's a person that I really would love to have in my life for the rest of my life. There aren't th many of those. You don't come across them that frequently. Yeah. And usually it's people that, that share your perception of the world and your choices and your philosophy, <laughs> you know. So, um, for the most part, I would say that the, the close friends are people that think the way I do about various things, politics, life, choices. And you know? have a similar worldview. Yeah. Yeah. I find it, it's harder almost to keep, to... The maintenance of friendships, I think, is almost something that I'm, I think, I'm still learning how to do. Yeah. Versus I feel like I learned very quickly, like, oh, how to maintain a, a romantic relationship. And I feel like I didn't, I'm still working on how to maintain friendships in, in a healthy way, similarly. Yeah. Well, it, I think what, what people are most intimidated by is, is 
time, time and separation and distance in terms of relationships. And that's not really a factor, especially in this age, yeah. where you can not only be in contact, you can see people face to face. Yeah. Um, the thing I think that I ask for, that, that it is a qualification of that kind of relationship is honesty. And loyalty. I think those are the two two things that come to mind that that are important to me. Not necessarily agreement, you know. Not necessarily um, praise or mm -hmm. approval. Honesty is very. Important. Loyalty is very important. The, the loyalty that disseminates support, you know. Yeah. It's a beautiful way of approaching that. <laughs> Learning so much from you. <laughs> well, you know, there is something I want to say about this whole process of aging. There is um, a. a a mistake that whoever invented this whole thing, humanity, made for me personally, which is my body is one age, my mind is somewhere else. It's not in concert with what my body yeah. has become. And that's very difficult. Because in, in my mind, I'm saying, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to see that person, and then I'm going to, you know, and I have a project, and, the, and my body says, are you crazy? <laughs> Sit down. You don't have the energy to walk to the door. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. There's a complete miscommunication between mind and and what the body is capable of, and that makes your life very challenging. It's very, that's the thing I, have, I cope with every day at this point. Because, I mean, there are just so many things, so many people, so much I want to do and need to do and have to do, and this isn't coming along <laughs> with it. You know, so that that makes it that, that's what makes it tough. At least in my on my terms. And I'm I'm very lucky because I'm really quite healthy for somebody my age. I don't take any drugs. I don't take any pills. I don't, you know, I don't have to have any medical support. So it. It's, um, that's the hardest part of the aging process for me. And somebody should do something about it. <laughs> Let's write a strongly worded letter to the universe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, I think they do a lot of research 
on the yeah. whole thing, on aging and all of that. And, and they're just really, as far as I can see, I, I, they're just really beginning to deeply examine the human brain and find out what's going on yeah. here. Which should have happened <laughs> a long, long time ago, yeah. But um, there's a lot of work to be done there yeah. with the brain and figuring out you know what 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 you can do to make one more complementary of the other instead of in opposition that makes sense you know yeah that's my thing about aging thank you for sharing <laughs> yeah my um my dad is turning 73 and it's I'm lucky that he's um he's a therapist so he's very open and, com and communicates and has taught me I think I think <laughs> really uh you know good communication skills and and just how to be really in tune with yourself and I hear you know him saying girls I, I want to take you to on these trips before that I just I just can't yeah yeah it's hard to also hear that well, that's probably one of the reasons that you're doing this project. Is your dad? Probably. <laughs> yeah. I've grown up watching that and experiencing that. Yeah. It's interesting. But then also, you know, as a director and a teacher of actors and directors, my whole thing. My mostly adult, mature life has been spent studying human behavior because that's what we're doing. You know, yeah. we're re recreating human behavior every time we try to direct a play or assume a role, and so that's part of and and the, in in my study of human behavior, that's the thing that I see that that is. Challenge, a challenge. The brain is so separate from the body and, and able to do certain things that the body can't. It's interesting. Yeah. I forgot who I was talking to. Um, I think it might have been Martin Moran, actually. He read something that said that the brain and the mind are two different things. Yeah. Which... That's interesting. It was, and it was the but first time verbal. that I... That's, that's, you know, some people call the brain the mind. Yeah. That's, it's a synonym, not a different thing, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I was. Just, it was just it, what yeah. you were talking about reminded me of yeah. that, what I thought was interesting. Because... Yeah, I, I understand what, what he's trying to say. Because the mind is the brain with all of your history behind it wanting to crystallize whatever the brain comes up with. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think that's what he's getting at. <laughs> yeah, it made me think so much because I, 
I'm also in the process of, you know, trying to understand, like, I love talking to people, I love stories and understanding people and their behavior. And as I'm learning it, I feel like, okay, like, I'm, I have sort of a grasp on, like, okay, if a person was in this position, what are the various things that he or she might feel or do? But the brain, I know, like, I know the word neuron, I know synaptic pruning, and those are the only two things I know about that. You know what I mean? It just made me think about it in, like, a little broader of a term. I don't know. Well, you know, they're doing amazing things with cells, you know, and yeah. the whole thing of DNA and extracting, let's say, a breast cancer gene or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. But the brain is, is different from that. It's, it's a command center, really. Yeah. <laughs> Has a mind of its own, but um, <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Questions? Um, yeah, my last um, question that I've been asking people is just if they have an un- an untold story, whatever that means to you, either something like a memory that doesn't come up a lot, or something about you that you know, upon meeting you, people might not know, or if there's you know like a game that you used to play in on car trip, like car uh, road trips, like anything that um that just doesn't come up a lot. You know, I don't, uh, the the thing that comes to mind is not untold, really. And yet it's kind of a mystery to me. When I decided to try to develop a career as a director. Um, It was a crazy choice because it was just very difficult for women. It was just really, we were not seen in that role. And you know, I'm talking now, we're going back to, I graduated from college in 1948. <laughs> and um, when I finally got to the point where I was functioning as a director and thought it would be nice to work in television, and I got the chance to direct daytime because my husband was a director and he was directing daytime and he trained me and helped me prepare to try to get into the fray. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to join the union, the guild. And when I joined the guild, I came in as a director. Most of the women who were in the guild came in as assistant director or a so you know some some other kind of classification. So 
the whole first year when I got mail, the mail was addressed to Mr. Lenore Dakota. Wow. And that, you know, pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, we have not made any progress. <laughs> That's the thing that, you know, kind of has motivated me all through the years. My whole uh, effort as a teacher was to develop directors from the minority group, women and, uh, and ethnic minorities. And I've been pretty lucky at that, pretty good at that. Um, That is a mystery to me. The fact that something about this civilization, and it's, it's very much American because they were, they were much better in Europe. Okay. Um, it's a mystery as to what the, the um, resistance consists of, and that's the brain. Mm -hmm. There's something in the male brain, and I don't know whether it has to do with early parental influence <laughs> or what it is, but there, it's just a constant fight. And I'm not talking about the Me Too and all of this, you know, the movements and things, and there's been a lot of talk in in our industry about why aren't there more women directors, et cetera, et cetera. Why aren't there more women conductors of orchestras? Why aren't there more? This mystifies me. I'm really, you know, at, at this point of advanced age where I've seen so much and we've, we've come, yes, we've come far now we're allowed to vote. Yippee. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What is that? I'd love to know. I wish somebody would, would do research in the brain of the male to figure out why this has been such a slog. <laughs> why, why it's taken years and years and years of effort and activism and all of that stuff to, to try to get parity of some sort. Yeah. It's crazy. It's really crazy. We're, we're individuals, we're human beings. The fact that we are different sexually and physiologically, the brain is, is the same. Yeah. It's it's always it's been on my mind. It's been a quest. And um yeah, in my classes I've always tried hard to have an effect. And now I can say that I've accomplished a, a, a small amount, you know, <laughs> in terms of helping 
pursue that uh, quest for parity. Yeah, it's interesting when um, I'm just excited for the day where we just say, oh, there were five directors nominated, not there was one woman director and four men, you know, I mean, directors are directors and they can be whatever gender. Well, it's interesting because what's, what seems to be happening right now is that people are making that kind of observation on racial terms. Also that. Not, <laughs> yeah. not in terms of male, female, but you, you look at, at a crowd and say, oh look, there's only one black something. <laughs> there's only one black director in a whole list of 30,000, you know, or something. That consciousness seems to be raising mm -hmm. as we speak now. Yeah. And the, the consciousness about the, the dearth and the, and the lack of quality, but, you know, when you watch a, a sh those silly award shows, yeah. um, and somebody gets up and says, but we still need, you know, then you know that there's still a problem, mm -hmm. you know, that they're still making speeches about give us a break. Yeah. Give us equality. Give us parity. Should that? I mean, how long, oh Lord? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that there's anything that we can do on our like daily level to kind of make that shift? It's hard. It's like a very. It's like paradox. Almost. Well, I think we have to do exactly what you're doing in regard to seniority. If you do a project about aging, it's going to affect people's perception of what the aging process is, how to treat senior people, you know. And I think it's the same thing with the difference between sexes and, and mm -hmm. the relationship, you know. Of, I think that it's awareness and it's pursuit and it's just getting, shooting your mouth off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think gradually it may take another hundred years. I don't know. But, you know, It'll be a better world when, when there is finally a difference, a change in the perception. I don't know. You know, everybody talks about um, the whole issue of race in this country. And the fact is, we moved in on the Native American mm -hmm. And we got rid of them. And so that's in our history, and that's in the basis of our behavior over generation after generation after generation. And it's only now that 
you're beginning to see an, a, a push in another direction. So I, I feel that it's a ger generational thing and what we, how we train our kids and how they train their kids. And it's all about what we learn from one another. And, and it's all about the children we're raising. One of my big fears right now is that children are getting hideous examples of behavior. And I worry a lot about the next generation, you know. But as far as equality for sex, sexes, um, I guess we just have to keep fighting and and demanding and making ourselves known and making ourselves so good at what we do that we can't be rejected. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But that's really another topic. That's yeah. That's not your topic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for for chatting and sharing these stories.